0: Hi guys, I'm Brad Montgomery and welcome to The Breakdown and here we talk about investing, science, and psychology. Today we're going to be talking about fire weather forecasting and just wildfires in general and we're going to be learning a lot of stuff. Before we get started, if you missed any of our episodes, you can always go to kfoxtv.com forward slash the hyphen breakdown. Now let's break it down. And I'm here with Tom Byrd, fire weather forecaster with the National Weather Service. I've known Tom for a long time. I've thought his job is fascinating and interesting and we're gonna learn a lot about what a fire weather forecaster does. I know a lot of people, including myself, initially had never even heard of a specific fire weather forecaster or fire weather forecasting so this is going to be a great opportunity to just kind of open things up and learn about what you do how you help the public and and basically how you're involved uh, when it comes to fire weather forecasting and exactly what it is so let's let's start off there I mean what, what I found so fascinating personally is your job just takes you all over the place so so let's start with with what it is that you do
1: yeah, exactly. Uh, thank you for having me on, Brad. Uh, I got a real passion for this. And, and just like you, when I got out of college, I had no idea that the National Weather Service did fire weather forecasting. I came from the, the Texas Gulf Coast, so of course I was going to get into tropical meteorology. Really? Then I came out here and I found out about the fact that we do fire weather. And that happened to be a niche that I fit into perfectly. Nice. So that's what I do now. I, I've specialized. I've had hours upon hours, hundreds and hundreds of hours of specialized training, basically micro meteorology to where we're talking about meteorology on a real small scale for each hill, each valley, each mountain, right? And so a lot of that extra training uh, to help dial in a broad forecast to a very specific area where that fire might be burning. And so now what I do is Is when there's a large fire in progress they they put a type 1 or a type 2 team on there to manage that fire and they pull in technical specialists and one of them is what I do is a fire weather forecaster. So I go uh, actually into the field and work with the teams on the fire site itself
0: and provide meteorological services. And we're gonna dive into that because they literally they, they ship them off to wildfires. I mean, this is just, it's incredible. So before we get into what you do even more, we do have a viewer question. Producer Laura? Yes, we do, Brad. Our viewer question today is, what are the most common mistakes that people make that cause fires?
1: Well, one is negligence, right? Where you go out and you start a campfire Mm -hmm. and you don't put it out completely. Mm -hmm. I've actually done that myself. And I work with these folks and I know how to put a fire out, but it's not really easy. When you get a campfire, there's a lot of heat in there. You don't want to walk away until it's cold, right? You think it's
0: out. Yeah, you
1: think it's out. You've done a lot of work for it. Mm -hmm. But man, those embers can really hold. The other thing is kind of... Ignorance and, and I don't mean being stupid I just mean not knowing what's happening like if you're towing a trailer and dragging a chain You're making sparks, right? And if You're night. driving through the forest or through grass country. It's easy to start a fire like that You see that happen a lot uh, in what we do The other thing is like say you're driving your car your truck and, and you've been driving a while and you pull off the road And there's tall grass mm-hmm. when well, your exhaust is very hot mm-hmm. and all of a sudden your part's on top of grass. The grass is touching the exhaust. You start a fire. We see that a lot too. So sometimes it's negligence. Sometimes it's you know Ignorance. not really knowing yeah. what you're doing there.
0: Now, what can bring about so so? And this is where we kind of pivot to the to the meteorological side. And, it, and it's what, what can bring about some of the the higher fire danger conditions or some of the worst fire conditions meteorologically speaking. There's there's really three or four things that we look at okay. on how
1: intense, a fire will burn, right? And and that really starts with how dry are the fuels. Okay. Well, how dry are the fuels are depends on how dry the air is. Uh, okay. Because the okay. air, if it's really dry, will suck the moisture out of the plants, out of the trees, the bushes, the grass, and dry them out. And then they're more susceptible to burning because they're drier now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is the wind. The wind is a driver of how fast and which direction the fire goes. And so okay. we really look at those two things most. A couple of other things we look at is how warm is it? How hot is it? The hotter it is the more ignitable the temperatures are and how unstable it is. So unstable is, is does the air want to move up away from the earth's surface? If it does, think about a fire. That's what a fire is doing. It's it's taking air near the surface and rising it up because it's producing a lot of heat. Right. Well, if the atmosphere is also unstable that just enhances how how much lift you get over fire. Uh, and what's happening that. there Is new air is coming in because Mm. the fire burns the oxygen out of the air, Mm -hmm. but fire needs oxygen Mm -hmm. to burn. And so what you're doing with the unstable atmosphere is you're pulling in more air
0: with more oxygen
1: to burn the fuels.
0: So that's I never even would have thought about that. So it's more efficient. Yes. Basically that's
1: yeah, all those things, those four things, the winds, the temperatures, the instability, and the dryness, those four things work together. And if they're all in the wrong direction, they all combine to,
0: with each other to make fire conditions critical and extreme. And, you know, and, and since we're there, and, and this is actually, we were just talking about this before the podcast, and, and this is something that just happened to be more recent. What happened in Hawaii? Oh, yeah. I mean, so so I guess some of the thinking may be, you know, if it, if it was ignited by power lines, I think there was a hurricane in the area and I want to make specific it wasn't like a hurricane close enough to bring rainfall and then these areas were on the leeward side on the dry side so it would have had a hard time getting rainfall unless it was right over it or it had changed the wind direction. So the hurricane was far enough away but close enough that it was bringing wind I think probably higher pressure off on the other side right? and so you had this kind of wind funneling over the islands and I mean. And that's one of the the ingredients you're talking about. Wind, I guess, maybe some dryness. Yeah, Uh, a couple of things with with that that
1: fire there. Um, If you've ever been to the Hawaiian Islands, the north side and the east side of every island is where all the water falls, mm -hmm. all the rain. On the south and the west side of every island, it's... It's the leeward side, mm. it's the dry side. It's where they actually have drought, believe it or not, down on the Hawaiian Islands. That's where that city is. Okay. Uh, and so it was in a drought stricken area. It was very dry. And then you had the hurricane well south, pulling a lot of extra air across the island, mm. so kicking up the wind. So you did have the dryness and you had the wind. The other thing is we call this a wildland urban interface. And what you were talking about. Yeah, that, yeah. So what happens is if you have a city that's surrounded by a bunch of vegetation, and we have some here in our area that are critical. Okay. Doce, Cloudcroft, Silver wow. City, there's a lot of places. Beautiful Pino places. Salto's, oh, they are places everybody wants to live, yeah. right? But man, they are in the middle of the forest. You just like cut a little hole, put a city in there, and now it's surrounded by vegetation that on a drought year, or a year, or any to anything, and we saw that last year with the McBride fire in Doce, yeah. where you had a strong wind day, power line sparked, spark, I think is what it was. Uh, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. And then you had a start right there in the city. And with the oh, winds driving 60, 70 miles per hour that day, there's really not a whole lot you can do to stop
0: it. But and you, you don't have a lot of lead time. You don't have zero starts. lead time. Yeah. And
1: all, at that point, all the first responders are doing is trying to get people out of the way because wow. it's going to burn what it's going to burn. You can't do anything about it. So that's the wild land and urban interface. Um, and that's what happened down in, in Hawaii, and that's what happens here. We've had several fires that, that burn in and around these mountain communities, and and that's where you see a lot of loss of, of structure in those situations.
0: And and you were talking about, so, and before we, because uh, I want to get to some of the places that you've gone and some of the stuff you've seen, but you were talking about the, the basically, the, the, the containment kind of... Uh, the way of thinking of how to contain these fires, how does that generally go? Because, and, and I never thought about this. I mean, you know, we see it play out all the time on the news, but I guess in, in worst case scenarios, you can't contain them in worst case scenarios. You, you gotta, there's a little bit of a waiting game. Right. Well, in worst case scenarios, uh, all the elements are
1: stacked against the team that's managing the fire. No. Uh, if, if the vegetation is dry and dense, then you've got a lot to burn. If the topography is lined up with the winds, then that's gonna speed the the Mm -hmm. direction of the the speed, the the increase or the advancement of the fire. Um, If you're in drought and and the fuels are extremely dry, they're gonna burn, you know, the instant flame touches them, they're gonna start ignite, or even before Mm -hmm. they'll pre-ignite. And so what happens is there are certain situations and and it's very common uh, where a fire gets started and the team uh, could do could throw anything it wanted to at it, and it wouldn't make that big a difference, wow. uh, because the fire is such a huge force of nature that it will override any uh, barrier, any break, tactics, yeah. any stri- strategies, anything you do, you can put tanker after tanker of, of, of slurry on it, mm-hmm. it's still gonna burn right through it.
0: Wow, uh, and so, that's interesting. So sometimes
1: we're out there when we're on the fires, and we're, I wouldn't say just sitting there watching it burn. Yeah. We're trying to get people out of the way, keep people safe. Uh, maybe try to corral it away from some sensitive areas and okay. stuff like that. But we're not stopping it, and we're not
0: putting it out. I mean, they just can't do it because the the conditions are just too bad. And and so that that gets me to to your job specifically, which is you know again, fire weather forecaster, just pretty incredible thing to do. So yeah. they 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 basically shuttle you to some of these fires around the country, and I, I'm guessing. You know, the, the West seems to be a little bit less consistent on rainfall compared right. to the Eastern U.S. If you do, right. you know, broad brush, obviously you've got the Washington coast or whatever, but there's exceptions, but broad brush. So are you usually kind of shuttled around the West as far as, or have you made trips all over and as long as they have New Jersey wildfires? I've, I've
1: been, I've, I haven't been to New Jersey. I've been to the, to the East coast, as uh, so much as, uh, for fire anyway. Okay. I have been to Miami for a hurricane. I've been to Louisiana for Katrina and Rita hurricane, oh, uh, but all my fires have been from Texas West. Okay. So I've been from coast to coast. Okay. Uh, And when you talk about fires and and why we're out there, I'll I'll tell you one thing. First off, being a fire weather forecaster, and what I am is an incident meteorologist. Okay. It's called an IMET. And so I go to mostly fires, and that's the big incident. Um, It's a pretty stressful situation for me. It's a lot of responsibility because the, the two reasons I'm there is, number one, First and foremost is firefighter and public safety, um, and second is to help make sure that their tactics are going to be successful. In other words, if if they want to fight fire over here, but the wind's blowing in that direction, maybe not the best thing to do. It wouldn't be a good safety thing, and right. it wouldn't really be successful. So I'm there for those two reasons.
0: How close? To, again, I gotta just how close do they get you? I like how like do do they? I mean, cause. And I'm guessing they move you, right? I mean, what do they want you within 10 miles? Do they want you Uh, within
1: 20 miles? So I'm in helicopters flying over the fire, just so I can get the lay of the land, so I can tell what the land is going to do to the wind, direction, and speed. Um, I am on the line with my fire shelter and my helmet and my Nomex shirt. If you've seen on TV what a firefighter looks like in the field, I look just like them. I'm just so right exactly them. like them. I'm there with my gloves on. I've got a tool. I don't fight oh, wow. the fire, but I'm out there to get information on how the weather's impacting the fire behavior itself.
0: So with the, the, you're right there on the front lines? So I'm
1: there, but wow. I also am back in camp. That's where I have internet connectivity. That's where I have my computer, my printer, and all that. And, and that's where I create the forecasts. Okay. And that's also where I brief all the firefighters and the overhead staff that are going to go out. And employ tactics to try
0: to contain that fire. Okay, well, then I got to ask you this then like, has there ever been a time when you were concerned about your safety? I mean, <laughs> yeah. like something maybe sea breeze came in off the Pacific a little farther inland and then changed things up? or Only I mean, one time.
1: I've, I've been on 62 fires so far, which okay. I, I looked there's a when I first started 24 years ago. Yeah, that's when I first started doing I met uh, deep d- details. Um, I am. There's only four other people that have more fire experience, been to more fires oh, than wow. me. So, so I'm pretty up there. You are. Uh, so That's I've been cool. on a lot of fires, over 62 fires. Um, only one time have I been nervous, and I was uh, went on a fire. We have technical specialists. I'm one. The other one is the fire behavior analyst. Okay. Now the fire behavior analyst, he takes my information and he looks at the fuels and the topography and he says, he tells all the firefighters today this is what the fire is going to do. It's going to grow this far. The flame lengths are going to be this high and uh, here's the concerns that you on the line need to watch out for. So the two, the two of us, he and I, were shoulder to shoulder very close together. And one time I was out in the field with one of those fire behavior analysts, and we were walking across the top of the fire, and we walked past the fire, and as we did, it started uh, burning up the hill behind us. Oh no <laughs> And we had crossed a wooden bridge, which they had already wrapped in foil to try to keep it from burning, and when we turned around to go to that bridge, that bridge was on fire. <laughs> But we ran across the burn, the burning bridge and just and uh, wow. got got back into into a safe spot, and that's the thing, you know. Did we your area burn
0: later? Did you look?
1: at Oh it yeah, the, the area we were walking through, yeah, it was gone, uh, wow. within the hour. Oh gosh. Yeah, but but we're pretty smart about yeah. where we go. I mean, it's all about safety sure. and, and taking and risk and making sure the risk can be mitigated and it's worth what you're doing is worth the risk. And so, they really try their best to keep us out of situations where. We could get hurt. Yeah, because I mean,
0: you don't want to lose you for sure. Oh no, no, yeah, no, yeah. no, not at all. Right. Well, that's that. That's I mean, that's that's what I wondered, and that's so, okay. And and lately, I guess some of the, the the fires that have been most notable around here, we had. You mentioned the McBride, right? Were there some others in the Gila? Well, Hulas? remember last? Well, yeah, in
1: the Gila, the Black Range fire black, that's last right. year is now the second largest fire in New Mexico history. So I, I got I was lucky enough to be on that, I guess, if you want to call that lucky. Yeah. Um, but before that, we had the Calf Canyon Hermit's Peak Fire, which was in northern New Mexico. Yeah, I'd heard of it. it. It burned for well over two months, three months maybe, and it's now the largest fire ever in New Mexico recorded history. Before that, uh, back in 2012, was the Whitewater Baldy fire in the Gila, which was at the time the largest fire, but it, it, last year it got superseded by two fires.
0: Wasn't the Whitewater Baldy, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the one that threatened the major power lines, the transmission yes. lines? Okay. Yes, and I it think. also
1: burned uh, around the catwalk area in Glenwood, and then something we don't talk about or, or, or put enough emphasis on is post-fire effects, mm. where we burned out the canyon above the catwalk, which is a, a really nice historic uh, recreational site, mm-hmm. and then flash flooding and debris flows came down and wiped it all out. Well, it's been since rebuilt, thank goodness, because yeah. you know, it's it's a treasure for Southern New Mexico.
0: So, and and so so fire weather forecasting, um, basically, you, you mentioned one thing really interesting, and I just want to kind of hone, hone in on this, and this is something I didn't realize. The the Forest Service, or who fights the fire specifically? What is the Land
1: management agency. Okay. So
0: there's Forest Service,
1: BLM, the States, uh, Fish and Wildlife, BIA, you
0: know, like the Mescaleros, uh, BIA. And they they try to, so if you've got a bad fire going, you can kind of direct it, kind of, you try to kind of steer it away from, okay. So the, and I, I never even I had never even thought about that kind of the steering of the
1: fire. I want to talk about one thing real quick. Yeah. there's three major influencers on a fire. Okay, okay, and, and this will explain why I go to fires. Number one is the topography. Okay, the lay of the land, the hills, the ridges, the streams, the valleys, and all that kind of stuff. Because fires tend to work along topography. Do they
0: like like to go up streams and kind of like? Well, they like to go up drainages. Okay. okay. A
1: fire loves to burn uphill; it's slow to burn down. Got it. Okay. Okay, so it's a triangle. So one is the topography. Okay. Number two, the second leg of that is the is the vegetation. What's it composed of? How much of it is there? Is it dry and drought and all that kind of
0: thing? Bark beetle.
1: Yeah, yeah, Other beetle kill mm-hmm. and all the trees are dead, and so they're really susceptible to burn. So that's two of them. That's where the fire behavior analyst comes in. He looks at those two components. Mm. I look at the third leg, which is the fire weather. And out of those three, okay, you got topography, fuels, and weather. Which one changes the most? Weather. The weather. Mm. It's changing all the time. Mm. Which one can you not see? weather right you can see the topography you can see the fuels right but you can't see the wind you can't see how dry it is you can't see how hot it is or how unstable and so that's where firefighters
0: have a hard time with situational awareness and that's why we have meteorologists on fires I, I have a interesting little fire story and it's only one really I was out in this little town it's east of Phoenix called Superior Okay, uh, Arizona. yeah, yeah, I know it's about that. Maybe 40, 60 miles east of Phoenix. And right. You start to go up a little bit in elevation and and uh, it, w- it was evening, it was monsoon season and we were all out there and there was this fire in the hills mm-hmm. a little bit further up from Superior. There was really no threat to Superior because it was still kind of a, it's like in the middle area where it's still kind of deserty with some scrub oak, right? So it's not really mm-hmm. grassy necessarily. Yeah. And a storm popped up near us and we were kind of watching a light show And then as the winds from that storm Mm, interacted with that fire, I mean, those flames were just, I mean, luckily it was literally on the other side of kind of this little canyony kind of little creek Mm. thing, you know, so we felt okay. But I mean, those flames were just slamming around like every which way. And I mean, and it got our attention.
1: You bring up a huge safety concern on fire and that's the outflow from thunderstorms. And go back to uh, the Yarnell Hill fire. It's in Arizona, Prescott, Arizona. 19, this was just I think 10 years ago now, 19 firefighters died.
0: That's right. What happened
1: was there was thunderstorms on the Mogollon Rim to the north and they were collapsing putting out outflows and we're real familiar with outflows Mm -hmm. around here. We see them all the time. They kick up dust and and stuff like that. Cool
0: us down sometimes. Yeah, they
1: cool you down (laughs) but but if you have a fire now what's happening is the winds will often shift 180 degrees, uh-huh. and so instead of the winds blowing at your back and the fire is moving away from you, now the winds are in your face and the fire is now turned around and moving back at you. Uh-huh. Uh, and maybe they were blowing five miles an hour now they're blowing 55 uh-huh. miles an hour. That's and so that's a big issue. And and as far when you look at fire fatalities and burnovers, you know you do the research from. You know, as far back as you can look to now and all across the country, more times than not, by a huge margin, the issue is an unexpected weather change. Another reason why they That's have why they got you fires.
0: Yeah. OK. And like you said, you can't see that necessarily. Right. So and, and it's interesting, even here. I mean, and it's amazing sometimes. And, and I know you can relate just just in our weather just to pull it back just for a second, because it's like. There have been times those outflow boundaries can go quite a while. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I mean, there's been times here where we're like, where'd this dust come from? And right. you really have to back up the radar and you're looking within like sometimes over 50 miles away. Well, we get
1: we get backdoor uh, outflows from, uh, and I say backdoor, they come from the east, from Lubbock, Amarillo, the Texas Panhandle That's that right. brings all the dust. That You know, you, you go to bed at night and you wake up in the morning, the, sk- the sky it's is milky white, yep. hazy. That's outflow from big, huge, severe thunderstorms out in the plains. that pushes it away. so it can go hundreds of miles. Yeah, that's true, yeah. And that, I got to track that. Yeah, I've got to watch for that kind of stuff.
0: Now, because growing up in Southern California, I remember um, it was a big, big deal. There were there were some notable California fires when I was a kid, the Oakland fires. They actually did. I think some kind of short TV movie on that, or I remember oh, yeah. seeing that. Yeah, that burned all the way down to the coast. Right. Um, we had one when I was a kid that started. Either in the hills of Orange or San Diego County, and it burned all the way down to the coast with oh, yeah. offshore winds. Right. And I remember it got it, it really like it really surprised us watching. And as a
1: meteorologist, off. you know what those winds are called. Those, Santa, Ana. those are the Santa Ana yeah. winds, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's and that's the weird thing about California fires is usually what happens around here, especially is our fires are more intense. They grow biggest during the day. Mm-hmm. At night, they the, the R H it cools, the R H comes up, and the and the fire slows down. In California, a lot of times, especially on the coast. It's the exact opposite. They grow most at night because the Santa Ana winds kicking at night. Mm-hmm. They're offshore. They go down slope, so they heat and they dry. It's and so bad combination. Yeah, and so. <laughs> It's a totally different mindset to work fires in California. And that's why I used to be afraid as an IMET to go out there because I'm not used to it. Mm -hmm. But I did get to work a couple of California fires and and quite enjoyed working out there in California. You got kind of a feel for it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's
0: good to stretch yourself and and get into new regimes. And have you ever, you know, when you've been out there forecasting, obviously thunderstorm outflows are a concern. Is, Is there a time when you just kind of pull everybody back because you say, you know what? We've got some thunderstorms developing. And, and the reason I say this is because w- there there was a fire, and I, and I don't know if it had to do... If it, was sp- it was probably sparked by thunderstorms initially. I think it was north of Lake Tahoe okay. where they actually issued a tornado warning. Oh, on yeah, it. yeah, yeah. And because it actually had a mesocyclone... T- it wasn't just a fire right, whirl. Right, I mean, right. it was actually a rotating... Um, have you ever just pulled people back and just said hey you know what oh yeah we're not even i it's interesting so that i was on
1: the first i think I, i'm pretty sure i was on the first fire that had a really good documented fire tornado on it wow. it was the missionary ridge fire near durango colorado okay and uh, we were getting reports in camp on the radio of a tornado with fire in it and and i was like kind of saying nah right because the thunderstorm didn't look that strong and so i didn't think it was capable of a tornado but the fire whirl. Uh, kind of enhances that. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there was a lot of video documentation of that, a lot of damage, a lot of big, huge trees snapped and all that, but but yeah. In camp or in the field, wherever, I have a radio on me just like everybody else does, right? And if I see something on radar or satellite or observations that tell me that there's something of concern, I'm instantly on the radio talking to every single person on that fire, telling them what's happening, where it's gonna happen, and when I think it's gonna happen. And we have safety officers on these fires too, okay. and I work very closely with those guys. And I say, hey, if I see this, what are we going to do about it? Got it. And so we, we come up with a plan of attack to keep people safe. We did this back when the Spaceship Columbia came out of the sky in okay. East Texas. It was in That's spring, right. and so a severe weather season. We had tornadoes running through the areas that all these firefighters were searching for for debris from from Columbia Space Shuttle, mm-hmm. and so. I sat down with all those, the, the safety officers from the different camps and said, okay, if I say I see something severe coming, what are we going to do? Because these folks were in the, in the woods and trees and stuff, and so it was very dangerous. So we sit down, we, we have a plan that says if I see something, I say this, and then this is what happens to get everybody safe. And so a lot of times there's c- crew buses, and we just have everybody get in buses. And, and just get and them
0: out. And get out. Get, get out yeah. so, and I, I, I like that. So all that layered layering and layered security that basically you don't see the losses of firefighters i guess anymore like it's you know it's so sad that you would think that we'd learn all the lessons
1: that you'd have to learn right it would never happen right but it still happens because accidents are accidents a lot of these accidents are people just driving to and from on the fire or to the fire Uh, away okay some accidents are they're having to cut trees all the time with chainsaws it's a very dangerous activity Uh, where tops of trees fall out before you expect them to as they're oh. falling, and you can, you just don't have one person sawing; you have other people around, and so there's that. And then there are the burnovers where you have an unexpected event of some sort. In Arizona, uh, yeah, like like Yarnell
0: Hill. Now let me let me ask you so so to keep everybody safe as safe as we can. What are some ways that that you know we can prevent wildfires? I mean, like you said at the top, and there's certain things we don't think about. I mean, I guess, you know, they always say, like, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll read some of the fire weather discussions from time to time other other parts of the country, and you know, like, you know, don't throw your cigarettes out today right. or don't, you know. But the interesting one about the car, I mean, don't drive your car right. over, I mean, and make sure your campfire is out. I mean, is that basically the, the, the gist of it or? That, that's,
1: that's a big part of it. Okay. But uh, like, like if you're riding a motorcycle through the forest, like a dual sport or a oh, dirt bike, okay. yeah. uh, exhaust have spark arresters so sparks don't, don't shoot out. Uh, if you live in a wooey, a wildland urban interface, make sure that you don't throw embers out your chimney. You know when you're burning, you know, in your chimney to keep heat. Uh, make sure you have the same thing, spark catcher up there. Uh, if you do live in a wooey where there's vegetation up against the house, try to clear it out. You know, do stuff like that to try to protect your house. Uh, but a lot of this stuff is just common sense, no-brainer stuff. You know, you don't shoot fireworks in the forest at any time, especially right. when it's dry and droughty. Uh, you know, right? Like this year, we we're supposed to have a monsoon. I don't, we I don't know where where it is. <laughs> Never <laughs> materialized. We're still. So, waiting. So, but but here's the deal. This year we went into fire season. Yeah. <laughs> really wet from last year. We had a really oh, good monsoon, true. right? And right. so we didn't have much for fire season in New Mexico. Last year I worked five different fires in the state of New Mexico. This year. I went to Colorado to work a fire. I didn't work any down here because we have, we've had a lot of small fires. Yeah, and, and there's two kinds of starts. There's the natural starts and there's the human starts. We want to try to eliminate all the human starts because most of that, like I said, is neg- negligence or, or ignorance. The natural starts there's really only one, lightning, right? And, and you can't stop that, because we're right. gonna have dry lightning. We're gonna have those storms that are high base and the rain evaporates and you're gonna get a strike, it's gonna hit a tree, some kind of susceptible fuel bed, it's gonna start
0: a fire. But but if it's a good year like it was this year, you don't get a big fire. Right, that's true. And yeah, it's interesting how like, I think, I mean, it seems does seem like the trees can hold on to some of that moisture. Oh yeah, yeah. I've Even even after last year, or two years ago, when we had the really wet monsoon, um, I noticed, that spring, the trees leafing out really nice, sure. and I was like, "Oh, I guess they still held on." So, and we did, we get a little bit of rain over the winter All time, right. to be oh, fair. Oh yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, but, we did. Yeah, sure. But but again, it's it's you're right. This year hasn't been, even though we haven't really had a summer thunderstorm season. And you know, it's interesting. Really quickly, he mentioned the the high base thunderstorms, and I remember I would I don't watch for it as much anymore. But every now and then, I would watch for it, and I would get concerned because every now and then, the monsoon would spill over into LA.
1: Well, it's oh, like it's yeah. like the
0: you know the mountains there can kind of sure. take it a little bit, mm-hmm. you know. But every now and then, that monsoonal moisture and those drier thunderstorms, especially at the onset, they would spill up into Washington and Oregon. Yes. And I was yeah. like, oh no! And well, that's sure kind of what's now. happening
1: now up there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're on the, they're they're usually on the fringe of the monsoon. Mm-hmm. There's a channel of good moisture, but to the east and to the west, they're you just... you can get thunderstorms, but you don't get rain. Right. Or if yep. you get very little rain, like so I'll if you LA. get lightning out of those. Yep. That's where the lightning starts are. And so if you look right now, the western coast, uh, Oregon, Northern California, Washington, that's where the fires are. A lot of that is lightning starts. Just on the edge of that. Yeah. yeah,
0: That's interesting. Well, thank you very much. And where can people go, Tom, to find out more information about, like, fire weather, fire conditions, if they're going to be going somewhere, or just general weather information? Well, I think for
1: forecast, uh, there's the National Weather Service site, weather.gov slash fire, and then if you want to know about what kind of fire, what fires are ongoing now and, and what kind of resources are on them and all that, there's a, a, a great website, it's national, it's called Web. So it's like incident web, okay. but it's oh, okay. I-N-C-I web. So just look up Web. And we'll put that up for you. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and it'll have a national map and it'll show all the different fires. You click on the little icon and it'll pull up that fire and tell you what they're doing with that fire. Awesome. Really nice.
0: That's really, really cool. Well, This has been just great. We're going to have to end it here because Ah, we can keep going. I know. Thank you very much, Tom Bird and uh, National Weather Service Fire Weather Forecaster. Yes, that's a real title, and that is his title. And thank you again for coming on.
1: You bet. It's been great to be with everybody. Thank you for having me.
0: If you enjoyed this conversation, make sure to comment, subscribe, and share it with your friends. You can check out our past archive of episodes on KFOXTV.com or listen on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for breaking it down with me and we'll see you next time here on The Breakdown.